You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole. Just so excited to be here. And I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and so excited that back with us is the one and only Christy Morrison. Christy, I've got to say, you are just glistening right now. Have you have you been doing a little like kickboxing or like uh I don't know, like working the, the, the body bag? Yeah, I've been taking a few jabs to the bicep. Nice, nice. Maybe the I, head. I could tell. I could, yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll be lucid for this conversation, and we're really excited to have back with us the one and only John Mills. Uh, I hope I'm the only, because if there's another one of me, I'm in a lot of trouble, because I don't know. Well, although actually it'd be, be kind of nice, but to be honest, I'm just here to talk about the, uh, the absolute marvel of science that uh, my new champion is standing behind me for this podcast. He won't speak through most of it, but uh, he's standing there glowering at all of you right now. He's, he's carved out of stone, it seems. He's twice as tall as I am, but, uh, you know, he, he won't talk a much. A bit like, yeah, he, he, he's, he's a bit like a robot. Honestly, yes, yeah, um, he's he's yeah. not a man; he's a machine. So, That's right, and yeah, he has so. not been injected with anything, correct? That uh, nothing at all. He is pure training. That's it. <laughs> it's it's all about science. <laughs> Interview is over. <laughs> oh man! Well, we're gonna have a great time tonight because we are gonna be talking about Rocky Four, Rocky versus Drago, which is the brand new director's cut of. Rocky Four from the director himself, Sylvester Stallone. And so before we dive into that, though, huge thank you to everybody here that's been listening. I really appreciate it. We had a great month here. In fact, just the other day, we had the biggest day we've had all year already with like over a thousand downloads. So Thank you guys for for listening to us. Really appreciate it. We also really appreciate uh, the people that have given us reviews and star ratings on like places like Spotify. If you haven't done that, please continue to do that and then help the show grow. Of course, one of the best ways you can help us grow too is tell your friends. You know, you can follow us on at the six hundred two club. We're on Instagram at the six hundred two club TFM, so you can also interact with us. We've got the Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, the listeners only discussion group where you can talk to listeners from all over the world. We've had some amazing discussions that have been going on about our shows recently, which has been a blast. And of course, you can go over to the website at track.fm where uh, we've got some big changes that are going to be coming up for the website. I think you're going to love it here uh, soon. So take a look out for that. Lastly, Thank you to everybody who supports us through Patreon. This is a monumental enterprise to put together, uh, this this network. And we can't do it without listeners like you supporting us on Patreon. And we have some great associate producers. Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. Do really appreciate every single one of them, not only supporting the 602 Club, but us as an entire network. And we could definitely use your help as we move into 2022. So go over to patreon.com slash trekfm. And see how you could be a part of the team. So, 
John, one of the reasons that I, I wanted to bring you on for this show specifically is that I know you've been a Rocky fan. And it was very interesting. And and last year, I just really kind of watched through all of the films, finally. And then we heard that Stallone was going to be doing this new director's cut, this new cut. And this is kind of a thing that a lot of directors have done with their films. I mean, you know, Apocalypse Now has a thousand edits to it. You know, you've got a lot of edits for Terminator 2. It feels like he's got a new edit for that every, you know, six years or something. I mean, just a lot of movies end up with uh, director's cuts. And so Stallone was going to do that here. So I wanted to ask you first, since I know you're a major fan, how were you thinking and feeling when you heard that Stallone was going to be bringing us a brand new cut of Rocky IV? I think everybody would be, would have been excited. I would hope everybody was excited. I know I was excited because uh, Rocky Four is a cultural touchstone. Um, growing up in the eighties, like everybody knows Rocky Four. Everybody knows the Rocky movies, but everybody knows Rocky Four. Everybody goes to Rocky Four. Everybody knows Drago. Everybody knows if you can change and I can change and he can change and the world can change and that guy's got change and give me your change <laughs> and all of that stuff. But you know, everybody. Um, and the, everybody knows it. Everybody loves the soundtrack because it's just absolutely like the greatest workout album compilation ever put together. And uh, so, you know, I, I was stoked for it. Uh, um, and I was really interested because Stallone was talking about how he wanted to approach it as a more serious movie than it came across in the 80s. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into the, more of those details. But, yes, I was excited. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no. And I mean, I found myself in the same position, you know, after having seen Rocky four for the first time. And, you know, it it definitely has uh, a lot of interesting aspects to it in its original cut. Um, And so the thought that Stallone would go in and re-edit this to make it feel, I think, a lot more akin to the previous Rocky movies, which I think all took themselves relatively seriously for the most part uh, and felt very grounded. Uh, I thought that was a great uh, desire of his. And I really looked forward to then, you know, seeing what he was going to pull off here. And I think anytime you come at something like this, you're always thinking, okay, I wonder if this will be better. You know, will this make the film better? Will this actually be a better cut of the movie? Um, You know, because sometimes... And we've talked about this many times how, especially like with Snyder Cuts, where we talked about the Ultimate Edition, where it's like it makes that movie a better film because you added more material. You changed the movie. So that can always be the case. Now, Christy, you coming into this, how were you feeling? I mean, had you seen Rocky Four? Did you have any idea that this was happening? What were you thinking coming into this? So I'm kind of the odd one out of the three of us with um, viewings of the Rocky movies because I've seen the first Rocky multiple times, but never actually sat down like you, Matt, and watched all of the Rocky movies or in order or anything. So actually, this viewing of Rocky for the director's cut was my first viewing of Rocky for ever. Really? So this is the only version I know. I'm going to be super interested to get your point of view then, because there oh, is so, so much. 
no, you, no, seriously. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited to because there is so much, and you know, we'll get into this with the discussion and everything. But like, yeah. I have so much baggage coming into this. Mm-hmm. It is really difficult to come at this with a really clean slate because this is literally, I, you know, it, it came out in the. It's literally what three decades worth of baggage with it. It's been this for for thirty years, and what's really interesting is I I don't know if I was more apt or less apt to give it a break, if you will. Like mm-hmm. having gone through the whole you know controversy of the special editions back in the nineties after being a kid who had lived with them for twenty years as they were, and then Lucas fiddling with them. Mm-hmm. Like that that's a really interesting thing because I know people where those were the first versions they ever saw. And the the reaction is just so different. It's like it just speaks to that whole that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna be really interested to get your thoughts on it. Well, the thing I love is is when we three come at this, we each have a different perspective. You know, John, this is the thing that you grew up with. Yes. And whereas I knew it, uh, and I knew the cultural reference point of Rocky and especially Rocky 4 I'd never sat down to watch it until last year you know so I have a different you know look and feel for the film than you do um, and I don't have that nostalgia necessarily that you do and then I love Christy being the complete blank slate and having only seen this one version so like I feel like we have three very unique uh, perspectives on the movie which which is really cool um now, Christy, I know you did some reading. John, obviously, you know all of the, the differences here with the new cut intimately um, because of your familiarization with the original. So I wanted to I'll start with you, Christy, kind of reading about some of the ways that this film had changed and having seen this only this new cut. How did you feel about that? Like, did you feel better about having just seen only this version? Or are you intrigued now to go back and watch the original and kind of be able to compare and contrast? So after reading from multiple different news pieces about the differences between the two, I feel kind of lucky, honestly, that this was the first one that I saw because... Mm. I do agree with you, Matt, oftentimes that the director's vision for something would be the most true version. Um, and that oftentimes the theatrical version cuts out a lot of things that directors would want to get across. Um, and I feel like that's probably the case with this movie from what I saw, because the things that I read were cut. Um, for example, the robot. Um, I don't know about it. All I know is that they mentioned that it was cut. I'm kind of glad it, I didn't see it. <laughs> I don't think it well, would have fit. <laughs> but but what's interesting and what's so tricky about this being a quote unquote director's cut is Stallone could have made any movie that he wanted. He chose to make the Rocky Four that came out back then. Right. Like he was and, always the director. Right. And, but the thing is, he had no like pressure. They weren't like, oh, put the robot in. Like that was all him. Mm-hmm. And the the montages was all him. Because he he saw the audience as changing, and so he wanted to respond to the audience, and he basically saw the music TV, you know, music television revolution coming, and he's like, okay, this is what people are really plugging into. So, I mean, honestly, he gets a lot of credit for being, you know, forward thinking there, mm-hmm. and seeing that, you know, the way that tastes were going to shift, but 
that that's why with this one, I'm glad that Stallone was very, very honest about the fact where he basically said, that's, that's what I, that's where my head was back then. And now that I'm older, I realize I was making decisions that weren't smart, that were more rooted in, you know, commercialism and, and, uh, uh, audience pleasing than like a true narrative, like truly telling the story that he wanted to tell. So that's why I think this, this thing in all of the back and forth about special editions or director's cuts or stuff like that. I appreciate the fact that Stallone and I'll even throw Lucas a little under the bus here that Stallone at least has the honesty, the brutal honesty to say, I'm not that guy anymore. That's why I want to do this cut because Mm-hmm. who I am sees this movie. And so I want to share that with you. And I'm like, okay, I can really respect that honesty as opposed to the whole spin we usually get, which is, oh, well, this is always what I was going to do. Stallone at least has the the, the presence of mind to say, yeah, okay, this is, you know, I've had a chance to look back and I've grown up a little bit. So let me just, let me have a chance at coming at it again as if I were making it now. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing because when you think about uh and and I appreciate like you said John Stallone's honesty in that. But I I think it is fascinating because it shows that I I think it shows the reality of being a director and like who you're making your film for. Right. Are you making it for yourself and for the art and for the story you're trying to tell? Or are you thinking about, okay, how is this film going to be marketable? And is, you know, Mm -hmm. and the 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 push and pull that you get, you know, and many times it's the studio who's thinking about all of those things. And it's the filmmaker who's thinking about, like, I'm trying to get my point across. I'm trying to get my story across. I'm trying, you know, like I'm thinking only in those terms. And and. Obviously, that's that's much of what we talked about with Snyder Cuts. We even talk about it with, um, you know, um, assembling Avengers. And, I mean, heck, we've even talked some of that in uh, aggressive negotiations, too, when it, when it comes to directors and, and all of that. So it is really fascinating that this movie uh, the, and the two cuts become a, a very interesting exercise in commercialism versus integrity i would say mm-hmm. you know like artist integrity um and uh, and i i think that's what makes this and it made this so fascinating for me when i went in to watch this new cut so john i do want to kind of obviously you mentioned you had a lot of baggage so i think maybe unpacking some of that baggage would be really interesting and how how did you feel going into this then and then kind of processing the ways in which Stallone has changed this movie because in many ways this is radically different in its feel yeah and the original uh and and that's the thing is like something like this gets into the weeds and it's it's not fun to get into the weeds necessarily but it's a very odd effect because definitely intellectually watching it and knowing the cuts and the changes, I was very much reacting to it in that intellectual fashion of, yeah, this was a better choice. This is stronger. 
but then there were also moments where there was a little bit of regret in the fact that I don't think that Vince DiCola's music needed to be cut. I understand that Vince DiCola's music is synthesizer heavy and tied to the 80s in an, in just an inextricable sort of way. But at the same time, it was good. And he was working with the medium that he he was comfortable with. There's no reason for that score. So that was one of those changes where I was watching it and saying, oh, well, I mean, of course I love Bill Conti's music. Who doesn't? But at the same time, uh, it feels a little disrespectful to Decola, who who put forward some good effort and got and he was instrumental, no pun intended, in getting the songs onto the score, too, that we all love. And so it's, uh, you know, it's an odd sort of thing because I knew immediately with how much more time they were spending revisiting the end of Rocky three to set up the Apollo Creed arc that this was going to be very, very different because that immediately that sort of put me on my heels where I was like, Oh, okay. I didn't realize this part was going to be fiddled with too. I thought he was going to make some judicious cuts later and then sub in some other stuff. But seeing that the entire thing was reassembled, I know he had said he was reassembling the entire thing, but it just seemed disorienting in a sense. Um, and in terms of the robot, which you mentioned, Christy, what's unfortunate is he so brutally obliterates any vision of the robot. There are actually later scenes that get cut in a funky way. If you know how they flowed before. Mm hmm. Because it cuts out a ton of his son's reactions as his son is watching on television. And so it cuts that out. And it's like, well, you know, the, the phrase is you don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it's like, that seems like one of those things where he could have had a little bit of robot in it just to show that Rocky was so extravagant that he gave Polly a dumb gift and then just not lean so much into the later robot stuff, but at least the robots there, you know, so... I know I'm rambling, but it it was just, it's a bizarre feeling to go through it because it does feel like these are two cuts that should be viewed together. I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I know how I feel about this one standing alone, but I don't know. And th this is where, you know, again, I, I got to find out your thoughts, Christy, because mm -hmm. I don't know how... I don't know how to approach this without that baggage with it. I don't know how to divorce those, those memories from what I'm watching. Well, I will say if for somebody who didn't have the previous experience to compare it with, I didn't feel any awkward cuts like there was something missing. Um, so in that sense, I do feel like the, the places where it was cut felt smooth. Um, but I will say, I think that it seemed a little disorienting, even for me in the beginning, watching the follow up from Rocky three. Mm -hmm. Also, because I haven't seen Rocky three, but mm -hmm. um, it just it does feel like kind of a shift in tone. That's really maybe his intent to set up for the rest of the movie. Hey, this is going to be more serious. Mm -hmm. But it does at first kind of confuse you from the way the, the movie initially starts it doesn't come across quite as somber so but but in terms of that opening as somebody coming at this fresh 
Did you feel that it dwelled on Apollo too much at the beginning? Or were no. you grateful for all of the material that you got? Did it, did it give Apollo's arc more weight for you? Yes, it did. Okay. I thought that was good. I didn't think that they dwelled on Apollo too much. Um, and actually did read that Stallone said once he had made this cut that he regretted in the past that he had written the death of Apollo into the movie in the first place. Mm, he actually apologized to Carl Weathers. It's interesting because that's one of the things that's cut differently because in mm -hmm. the original Rocky four, like even you're, you, you know, you're like Duke, you're like, why aren't you throwing in the towel for God's sake? And in this one, it's, it's tighter so that it's like Rocky's about to throw in the towel when, when Apollo uh, get, you know, gets that final hit. And it's uh, mm -hmm. it, that part definitely flows a lot better um, because Rocky still, you can understand why he still feels guilt, but it's not this thing where it feels like entirely too long for, for Rocky to be holding onto that towel. Um, but in terms of the death of Apollo, I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. Mm -hmm. Killing Apollo is heavy handed and it, maybe it's, a step too far, but the only other option he would have had would have been to be, you know, in all of the imitators that followed, like you watch the works of Jean-Claude Van Damme and you watch, uh, you know, kickboxer and his brother doesn't die, but his brother gets paralyzed. And so it's mm -hmm. like, that seems like it treats, uh, you know, paralysis a little too lightly, mm -hmm. you know, like, it's weird. I, I mean, the death of Apollo is just something I take for granted. Like, because I don't know if Apollo getting injured motivates Rocky. Right. In the same way, because if Apollo's not dead, then Rocky can feel like a jerk, but he can at least set Apollo up and make sure he's taken care of and give him the best therapists and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know what else he could have done with it i like i mean i really like this conversation because i do think it if you hadn't had apollo die i don't think a couple of the themes in the film come off quite as well um yeah. and one of the biggest themes in in the movie is really a apollo's hubris uh, and his desire to, you know, stay relevant, not necessarily being able to accept who he is and where he is in his life anymore. Um, and in much of the way, too, like where he transposes this idea that or he tries to give the opinion of that this our feeling that this is really just about America versus the USSR when really it's about his pride and kind of that that pride going before the fall. And, and I. I really feel like that this cut makes that even stronger as a thematic element. And I really appreciate that because I, I think it's a really important theme. I think it's something that, you know, especially with this movie kind of being so much about like uh, men and talking about men and what they should and shouldn't do and how they should act and all those type of things like I think this makes it a much more interesting conversation than it like, you know, if he had just gotten paralyzed or, 
you know, something well, like I, that. I mean, to be sure, you know, paralysis is not a, you know, it, it's not something that's a, a, a nothing sort of, you know, it, it is a very oh, serious no, condition. No. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying you're, I'm just saying like, you know, it's like, obviously we're not saying that. None of us are saying that. Yeah. But I think that if you look at it on the scale of um, sequel growth, not growth, but the sort of the raising of the stakes, putting Apollo even like in a coma and coming out at the end, that's already been done in Rocky 2. And you kill Mickey in Rocky 3. And it's like, well, what can you possibly do mm-hmm. to give Rocky his motivation this time? Mm-hmm. And either he has to lose a loved one or I don't know, like, you know, he gets firebombed in his house, you know, like it has to be something. If you're thinking in terms of a sequel, something grandiose has to happen to motivate the main character. When we move on to Rocky five, he loses everything. That's what motivates him mm-hmm, is he's, mm-hmm. he's destitute again. And then in Rocky Balboa, the motivation is forgetting Rocky five. So, you know, mm-hmm. everything just goes up in more and more in scale. But, um, yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. Like, I I just, I would be curious, Christy, because you're, you're coming out of clean. Like, what else in here do you see could possibly have motivated Rocky the way that Apollo's death does? Do you see any other way to get him where he needs to go outside of just some sort of, like, nationalistic, oh, you have to go represent America sort of thing. Well, and I I will agree for sure that never would have motivated Rocky. Right. That's not what's been his motivation from the beginning. It's always been internal or connected to somebody he loves. So, I mean, you're right. Like, it would have had to be the loss of a loved one. I would have hated even worse for them to have done something to Adrian. So I'm glad they didn't go that way. Right. Um. But other than that, I mean, I'm like, this is kind of a weak alternative. But what if it was like his son had a bully situation and then it turns out the kid's dad is a bully and then somehow they're connected in the boxing world and it becomes a match that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But it would have to be something very personal like that in order for Rocky to be willing to get in it. So I think that mm-hmm. this was handled correctly. I mean, I, I actually disagree with Stallone's feeling that he regrets killing off Apollo because I, I think just like you said, John, it had to be something of this magnitude to get Rocky to get back in the game and feel like there was a big reason for him to do it. And I also think uh, yeah. just, just speaking of that whole pride thing, uh, I can promise you that as a kid, I never quite made the connection that I did as an adult uh, you know, years later of Apollo coming down, uh, dancing in front of a golden calf. And what I think it's overlooked a lot. And I think what comes out in this version of it much more is that Stallone was just as critical of American culture in a lot of ways of the hero worship and idolization and self worship that goes along with that, that, Apollo basically falls victim to Mm -hmm. and you know coming down on the golden calf is so on the nose about it it's like oh wow there's imagery and it's it's so interesting because growing up with it you miss that completely like as a kid you miss that completely like it's just he's just on a funny setup and then watching Mm -hmm. this as an adult and especially this cut 
you're like, oh, wow, Stallone is actually putting his thumb in the eye of American culture as well for being a little too decadent and self-indulgent and taking the time to show how Drago is legitimately disoriented, right? Like it's so wildly different for him. He doesn't know how to react. He is overwhelmed by everything that's going on. How can people live like this? You know, I, I think that's that's effective in this cut. And that the whole reason you can tell that Apollo is doing that is that it's also, you know, it's it's puffing his chest. It's the same kind of thing that, you know, you see in the wild when two males are butting heads. They're going to try and do things to one up each other and to yeah. show, you know, I'm going to win, basically. Yep. Um, and so it was all a big display of puffing his chest. Yeah. Well, and I, I really liked that you called that out, John, about, you know, what we see uh, Apollo doing. And in, in many ways, I do think, you know, when we look at the idea of, you know, America in this time period and, and you know, what were the things that, that we can learn from, you know, I think there was an arrogance that we had, right, which led to a lot of things happening um, that, you know, I... For all the good things that came out of the Reagan years, there were some not so great things that came out of the Reagan, those type of years because of arrogance of just thinking that we could do anything we wanted to do and that we could have our way with places, you know, and that there would be no consequences and nobody could really challenge us. And I do think that, you know, Apollo is the representation of that, uh, again, of that hubris of 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 not realizing that um, that's not the case. And, you know, maybe we should take things and and like this cut does, you're taking things more seriously. And I think one of the things that I was interested in in this cut as well is that I do think that this created a really interesting dynamic because when you counter that with like Rocky and his motivations we come to the end of the film and it's really about Rocky he's not doing this for the same reasons Apollo was but he also realizes the need for himself to change for everybody to be able to like you know and he, that's the that's the I think this cut does that speech much more justice too because you know you don't get everybody in Russia standing up and cheering. Um, and so it really helps drive home that, yeah, this is a great speech, but it's not going to change the world. Um, but it's meaningful for Rocky, and it should hopefully be meaningful for us when we hear it, because it is the absolute truth. Like, we need to be willing to be able to be people that can change, because that was Apollo's fault, is that he insisted that he couldn't. Those are the two greatest changes that come to this cut are at the end when the Politburo simply gets up and walks out. And the fact that that footage exists means that Stallone was of two minds back then as to how it was going to go. And the other is that it, it plays so much better at the end when he goes over to show humanity toward Drago, show bygones or bygones at that point and it is um th those two moments alone i think make this cut worth it 
uh, you can debate, you can quibble back and forth about other things, but I cannot, cannot underscore enough how the change in the reaction of the, you know, the Soviet party leadership with the, the Gorbachev lookalike and everybody else is so much more believable that it changes the ending from one of snickering and quasi mockery to it actually just works and it works well. For what realistically would have happened if this was a right. real scenario. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Instead of, cause the whole joke has always been that Rocky ended the cold war because mm -hmm. he won the fight and everybody stood up and applauded. And it's like, you know, I, that had to have gotten under Stallone's skin after enough time to like mm -hmm. hear that joke and just say, okay, you know what? I'm going to show you what's going to happen here. And, and he just gets it. I think he just gets yeah. it right in this cut. Yeah. Well, and, and the beauty of that too, is that I think it drives home the point, right? That, that true change is going to take a lot more work than just one person making one speech. Yep. Exactly. You know, like, and, and you, again, like, I think that's the beauty of the way this movie is cut now is because I, I think, you know, the, what we see Rocky being willing to do, which is to put aside all comforts and get back to the very basics. Like literally he's training mm -hmm. kind of like a caveman, right? You know, like nothing but like pulling logs and like, uh, you know, running across snow and up mountains. Like there's, there's nothing, uh, you know, th there's none of this great medicine or anything. Like it's just man against nature to beat him and his body into submission for this fight. And, and, and I just, I think it's, it's a, it's a really great, mirroring that i think comes across even better here uh, i i do want to say that something that i've always loved that the part of my brain that i always have to squash down <laughs> is when he runs up to the top of that mountain you know it's a beautiful helicopter shot drago you know like it's so yeah okay he's really gonna take everything on but you know there's that part of my brain that just sits there it's like man that is gonna be tough to get down you have really got yourself in a corner right here. You are not a professional climber. What are you going to do right now? You know, like, it's just because you look at the sides of that. And you're like, man, that I would not want to be up there. Not at no, all. That's what I thought, too, yeah. at first, because the, the steepness of either side of the ridge he's on. I'm going, mm -hmm. don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's all snow on the way up. It's like, oh, my God, what if you slip? You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you on that. But I did like that overall. And I'm glad you brought that up, Matt, because it, it does juxtapose intentionally the, you know, person who's in their element with Drago, who's got all this fancy equipment and he's got the, you know, government behind him, um, whether he wants it or not. Um, and he's got everything he could possibly need to help him train. And Stallone, you know, his character with Rocky has been completely stripped down to nothing. He's in a completely different country. It's the winter. He has no sparring partner. He has no gym. They said he does, but we never actually really see much except a barn. Um, and he's got to figure out all of these ways to still train and get the strength training in particular that he needs in the most basic way possible. Um so I thought it was cool to see him kind of be creative in that way. Um, 
But I also did want to add that I I think the other storyline that goes really well in this is um, in addition to the whole piece about Apollo's hubris, I think that it should be said that there's that real sense of emotion there of there's people in like the wrestling world in our real lives that don't have the ability to move on that, you know, Mm. I wonder sometimes personally about if that's why Ric Flair has still been doing so much because he just simply can't let go, even though physically he really can't do much anymore. Um, Yeah. And I feel for those people because it's like they just don't know what else to do. And I wish that they had something else to cling to. There, there's actually, there's a, oh, I can't, I can never remember the name of the poem or the exact verse, but I remember high school was the first time reading it. Uh, and it was, it's a poem about what it's like to be a runner when you can't go as fast. Like it, it's literally yeah. postulating about what it's like to be an athlete who's no longer at the top of your game. So, I mean, this is obviously something that's very much a real threat. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Ric Flair, actually, because you're absolutely right. I mean, like the pro wrestling world is full of people who just couldn't stop. And now they can't walk. Now they can't hear. Mm-hmm. Now they're, you know, addicted to painkillers, all of that stuff. I mean, you know, and there are even tragedies all throughout because they take so much punishment. And then when their career is ending, they just can't, they can't take it. I mean, in a sense, you know, like, I, I, I mean, in a sense, it's like, you know, there is another real world scenario for Apollo that where he doesn't need Drago for his, you know, like he takes his own way out that that's a, mm-hmm. that's something that exists too for, for athletes. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a really, that's a good point. That's a really good point. It is something that I, I wish people were more understanding of how hard it is for uh, a professional athlete to see it come to an end and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, choose to retire or choose to be retired because nobody wants them on the team or they get injured or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, and, you know, Christy, something that uh, you had put on the outline that I was uh, really kind of mulling over in my head ever since I read it was just like, on top of the idea of can people change was the idea of how we can influence others for change, right? Mm -hmm. And it really just got me thinking. I kept thinking about that Gandhi quote of like, you know, being the change you want to see. It's my favorite quote. And, and I think that's kind of the beauty of this film. And I, I would love to ask, Stallone if that's what he had in mind especially as he's re-editing this movie because that's kind of what he's saying in the Rocky Balboa way right Mm -hmm. Um, is that you know we've we've got to be willing to change and be willing to change and and basically that means you many times is being willing to admit we're wrong and I, I really appreciate you know where he takes this um, and it just, I, I found it really moving actually watching the film and, and, um, I didn't expect to be moved at all really by this. And I, I, I was, I wonder, you know, going back to the Apollo, uh, you know, the Apollo motivation and stuff like that too, 
is it's almost as if, as if Stallone's point of view on things changes over the years because his whole motivation in Rocky Balboa is to get back in the ring and nobody wants to let him into the ring to fight because he's too old mm-hmm. and he, you know, he could get permanently hurt and he gives a very stirring speech. I love the movie. I love the movie because the whole thing is about, you know, in a sense, ageism where he's like, who are you to tell me that I can't get back in there? But it's like, at the same time, Rocky is the one in Rocky four saying, no, Hey, you know, your time is passed. You got to let it go. It's, it's, it's over. It's right. over. It's over. And then in Rocky Balboa, it's like, I don't know, maybe you could get back in the ring. And it's like the two impulses are, I think very much separated by just by age. You definitely are going to feel differently about it later on than you do when you're, you know, in your twenties and thirties where it's like, Oh no, you got to quit. I mean, look at how, how hard a time Tom Brady's having leaving the NFL. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he doesn't want to go. Because he knows when, once he's once he goes, it's it's over, and yeah. it's you know that that's that's a bitter pill to swallow. So, but you know, I think that at least in this movie, I feel that he's making a positive thing out of it. At least mm-hmm. I, that's at least what I got from this cut was that he's trying to say a that. Um, there's always going to be that warrior in him, and I like that they have Apollo talk about like that being a big inseparable part of him um and actually i kind of even thought about it when um adrian is trying to keep him from going and he says i know you're asking me to stay but you can't ask me to not be a man you know Mm. something like that that it's just like that's something about him that's never going to change is it's not like he's fighting for the same reasons that apollo was He's fighting because he feels that's the best way for him to honor his friend. And to basically, you know, make up for what happened to him and his feeling of guilt about what happened, that somehow it was his fault that Apollo died. Mm -hmm. He has to do this to make up for that for himself. You know, it's interesting. uh, Matt, since you're familiar with the previous cut, I got I got to ask because. Chrissy, you, you have no frame of reference for um, Brigitte Nielsen yeah. and and how much of a reduced role she has in this. Well, I but, read about it. Yeah, so. substantially so. <laughs> there, I think that's definitely, Matt, do you, I got to ask, do you think that Brigitte Nielsen's substantially reduced part in Rocky Four has to do with the fact that <laughs> Sylvester Stallone had a less than amicable divorce from her? I, I do think that might have something to do with it but at the same time i think that this cut makes this more about the relationship of these three men and their motivations and i think that this cut makes that clearer and less messy mm. And in many ways, I think by reducing the role that she has and that she plays, it actually makes that better. And so regardless of what his desire for that is, you know, and and maybe this would be the place where he's less than honest if he was giving an interview as to why, you know, he did it. I do think that it just... 
this this movie in general just played much better together with the way that he structured is it with the way that he structures it for the most part um and so losing you know her her parts of the film i didn't really feel them and i think that's that's the best thing that i can say about it it's like I didn't. Um, I did you? Did you like? I mean, obviously, you know the other one so well, but did you feel like it? It made the movie better or worse to have you know less of her role here. I don't think it made it worse per se, but there she did have some good moments in the original cut. Uh, she had actual interaction with um, uh, you know, with Adrian, and I I thought that just made it. Basically, it gives Drago more humanity in this version and then re- removes hers. And it's I think that there is probably a cut somewhere in between. She maybe didn't need to be in the, the film as much as she was, but she doesn't need to be in it as little as she is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I get that too. And and I guess the other thing that that question also leads me to asking you then um because you know Christy you haven't seen the other part but you know a lot of Polly's role gets cut out of here because of the robot. Mm-hmm. And did you feel that as well being uh, a detriment to the movie or made this, you know, a better cut or would you have liked to seen something more in between as well on that? Well, as a heavy drinking uh, bald man of Italian descent, Polly's uh, reduced presence very much affected me. I didn't feel as represented <laughs> in the film. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, the thing is, I, again, it's a tough one, right? Because mm-hmm. I cannot, I cannot not remember all of Polly's antics in the original version, including mm-hmm. the vo- changing the voice of the robot to a, uh, a feminine voice so that right. he had a, basically like a woman to boss around. And it's like, Polly, trust me. Like if anybody has ever, you know, if anybody wants to talk about watching um, some uncomfortable attitudes towards women that a character has watch the way Polly treats his sister in the Rocky movies. It's, it's beyond uncomfortable. It's like, wow, he's awful. Like he is a terrible person. I remember person. from the first one. Oh, it's even worse than the second one. Oh. It's like, oh no. Um, but uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I love Polly. I don't like less Polly, and that's why I think again that there's a a sense of I get that he doesn't like the robot, but there was there was some good material alongside there that. You know, maybe find a middle ground, just like with Brigitte Nielsen. You can you can significantly reduce the robot's presence without removing it entirely. Mm. Um, so I, I felt like it was a little much because Polly suffers for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So if, as a um, flip side of the same coin, I will say I felt like you are right as far as the cutting of Brigitte Nielsen and of Apollo's wife from mm, the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I heard, it just, at least um, my version, you know, seeing this version, I felt like 
they're referring to them with the shots, you know, from different scenes, but then not explaining who they are and why they're significant in this version. So Mm -hmm. I did miss a little bit more with the two women to be like, why are they here? Who are they? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, literally in this version, I don't even know why the other woman is in the audience at first until I'm like, okay, clearly she cares about him. That must be his wife. Uh, doesn't do the, the original cut doesn't do the greatest job of giving her a, a fair shake on screen time. Um, and there, there's one other nitpicky cut that I have to go back and revisit just to make sure that it's not my brain playing tricks on me. But one of the greatest scenes in any Rocky movie and possibly in any inspirational film is when Duke goes to talk to him before he starts training. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the speech that ends with, you know what you got to do. Yeah, do it. Do it. I believe in the original version, it stays on the close up of Duke. As opposed to in this version on the second do it, it cuts to a long shot of both of them. Mm. And I just think the cadence of the original version is better. Now, again, I need to rewatch both of them to make sure my brain isn't playing tricks on me. That it's just something where I listen to that audio all the time and I need to make sure that I didn't mentally go in and rewrite the visual language of that scene to match what I see in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, seriously, it's like it's that that speech is that ingrained. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I just, he, you know, he Duke is just the great overlooked character of the entire series. And, um, you know, I, I, I just... Any any cut of Duke would have been disastrous, uh, he, cutting even a second from him. Um, so yeah, just it's that's just one of those odd things that I'm sort of holding on to mentally. So, and one thing I meant to ask um, you both, but especially you, John, with you know having seen the original version more, um, did you notice that there was more? Um, depth with adrian in this version versus the original rocky four she does she gets more time um is it substantially more i wouldn't say substantial i think she Mm -hmm. gets a little bit more reaction and a little bit more breathing space in the in this cut um but not so much where i'm like oh yeah well that just that gave her so much more to do it's like yeah okay this is an extended shot that sort of thing or an ex- okay. you know a little bit ex- the the exchange on the staircase plays differently, um, and she gets you know she gets a little bit more to to do and say, but not so much that um, it swings the pendulum one way or the other. What's really interesting is similarly the additions for Drago by and large give so much more humanity to uh, Dolph Lundgren. And I think speak to the fact that Lundgren has a a natural charisma that really comes across in this. Like I, Mm -hmm. I find him so much more sympathetic in this cut where he even realizes, you know, he's being all bluster and, you know, if he dies, he dies but then there's even the sense that Drago has come to realize, oh, wait a minute. Like, I'm I'm a product of programming here. I want to be my own person. So that scene where he does, you know, throw the the, the Soviet minister 
you know, he chokes him at the side of the ring. Um, I think that's a bigger, better payoff uh, this time. Mm -hmm. And I did love the back and forth, by the way, of uh, when it's in the midst of the final fight and it's shots compared between him by himself thinking out loud versus Rocky by himself thinking out loud. And it's like they're thinking completely opposite things to what you would think they would be. You know, he you think in your head is this invincible guy because that's what he's been built up as. And he's saying this guy is invincible about Rocky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's not human. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's one of the things that I I mean, this this cut just makes I feel like so many things so much better. Um, and John, one of the things though that you did mention earlier is just how you know Vince DiCola's music didn't get used for this movie, but we still do have this incredible soundtrack. Um, and so especially Christy, you know, you mentioned how you were just really digging it, and so I'd love to get your thoughts about. How much you now love this soundtrack? Me or John? <laughs> you. Both of it. I'd, just, I'd you. love to hear both of your thoughts. The but songs of course, chosen for the soundtrack. Yeah. As good as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and 2 are for like really great 80s music and stuff like that, this soundtrack is the reigning champion supreme of 80s soundtracks, of workout soundtracks. Of Like there is, I mean, come on, Burning Heart, Bringing Back... Uh, um, you know, I the tiger. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, after after the huge smash that it was, tied with three. Um, there are so many. You know, living in America by James Brown. Mm-hmm. That's one of the that's one of the greatest songs ever recorded. What are you talking about? And like that, James Brown is in the movie, right? Isn't that fantastic? Like, yeah. I, I just I, there are so no easy way out. Yeah, it's a tremendous that's my song. song. Oh my gosh, I love that song so much. I told Matt today I was listening to it on repeat in the car. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I, Play I just, an air guitar. <laughs> it's such a good song that you can forgive the montage, right? Where it's like that—that's the one thing that I was happy about was they kept that montage so I could have that song. But then there is that conflicting film snobbery within me that's like, why am I watching a montage of stuff that happened in this movie? This makes mm-hmm. no sense, mm-hmm. but. It, it just the song justifies it, and it justifies the song. Therefore, the two are a perfect blending of postmodern film. Well, and the way it starts, though, the combination of that song and the video component of that montage, I thought mm-hmm. was cool because it's it's sort of the way now it's become popular, you know, in trailers to have the scene change at every boom of the music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was Stallone closing the door of the car and then you're seeing a scene and the music start and then flipping a switch and another beat happen. And that Mm -hmm. was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And Drago in the, in the lightning flash of the strobe light. Like, yeah, yeah, that's so good. (laughs) So good. Yeah. That's, I mean, so glad that there's really only, there's a couple of montages obviously in the movie now, but there, it feels like there's less montages because, you know, the first movie felt like it had, or the, the original cut of this seems like it had a thousand montages. The first cut of this movie um, is nothing but montages, Matt. It's, it's true. <laughs> it's like Montage City. Um, but, yeah, I'm so thankful that this, you know, didn't. And, I, you know, I, I think 
regardless of using Vince DiCola's music, I think that, like you said, John, the soundtrack itself for this is really the, the thing that most people remember anyway. And so that still being there, I think, is is awesome, you know, and, and the, he's not pulling songs out of, of the movie. Oh, or if, if he like had that. pulled so much as so, one song, yeah. like, I'm done. I wouldn't have mm-hmm. even, I, this, this would have been an instant zero star dead to me. Like, you can't pull any, any of this music. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm still, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I, I sincerely don't like the fact that he took so much of Nicola's music out of it. I really don't. Because, yeah, it's synth. Yeah, it's virtually indistinguishable at points from uh, Transformers the movie, which Vince DiCola also mm-hmm. composed the music for, which came out the same year. Sure, they're very similar, but I mean, it's so good. Like it, he, it had such a great rhythm and everything. It's like sure, synth was big back then. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, <laughs> he did the music for Transformers the movie, which is the most eighties movie that's ever been made. Okay, ever. So listen, not really. I've seen more 80s than that, but Transformers, the movie is the great undiscovered gem of the 80s. That much I'll give you. Mm-hmm. That that's what we're going to go with. That, I will. That, I will come that's... straight through the screen and I will <laughs> harm you in ways that you can't possibly imagine. And my other vote uh, is Flashdance. You know, I've never seen that. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. Seriously, never seen it. Me either. <sighs> Talk For about some... characteristic yeah. 80s. I know well, I know the soundtrack from it. I know yeah. the poster yeah. from it. And I remember being well, so and... young that my parents didn't want me to go see a <laughs> yeah. thing about an erotic dancer who also worked <laughs> a, a steel mill. So but yeah. that shows that you know, women can that, uh, do anything. That's what it shows you. Yeah. <laughs> now that That's she's true. in the, the book of uh, Boba Fett, <laughs> yeah. maybe we should do a special episode of the 602 Club with the three of us again where we talk about Flash. Yeah! <laughs> oh, wow. I'm not committing to anything at this point, but I'll, I'll consider it. I'll consider it. <laughs> It'll be the Jennifer Beals episode. There you go. That's who, there you go. That, wait, that's who's in that? Yeah. Yes, okay, yeah, that's sure. what I'm saying. All right, I'm on board. Sure. See, Let's I, it out. I knew we yeah. could get you. I knew we could get you. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Well, we've got John committed to that. Uh, we should get to our ratings here for Rocky Four, Rocky versus Drago. And, you know, Chrissy, I'm going to go to you first and just see where you ended up since, you know, this is the only version you've seen and this is the first time that you saw this film. Where did you land? So... I will say I thought, again, it was an asset not having all of that other baggage from the first version to, you know, get in the way of enjoying or not this version. Um, And that overall, to me, it did feel like a more contained character based story um, and a very, you know, much more serious tone than I thought I was getting into with a Rocky movie. Um you know, I mean, obviously, like, they're all fairly somber, but um, also positive. And, you know, this one, I think that they really show so much that it is about, even though I have no experience with this, obviously, but like, just like what it it takes to be a man and how those three interact, Apollo, Rocky, and Drago, um, and what he's going through internally with this huge change with having lost his trainer and best friend. Um, you know, he, he says, I think 
such a perfect few words in the funeral scene about how how much Apollo meant to him and that he was an inseparable part of his life. And that's what I felt more than anything with this movie. Um, and I mean, you can't get much better too than the music as well. Um, other than a couple of little things that I think were weird, like I said, with the two wives being shown, but not really explained. I think that it was a really great movie and I give it a four out of five. Um, Uncle Sam hats because <laughs> that outfit was awesome. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I, uh, I too give it a four. That's the highest rating that any cut of Rocky four has ever gotten. Um, as much as I have, I mean, as many times as I've watched it, it's one of those ones that you watch it and you love it, even though you, you know, I loved it despite itself. Uh, more than anything it's like it was just like yeah it's not great cinema but i i enjoyed watching it because it's like comfort food this does have more weight to it uh i'm really glad christy to hear that somebody without the baggage uh thought the same thing so that i'm not second guessing myself that i was being too nice to it um so yeah solid four yeah nice yeah i am i'm gonna go with a three and a half um, oh, and, come on. Ruining but, the average. Come on. Come on. I, I, um, this is really, I mean, I remember, I, I, I think, I, John, I probably did text you and, and our friend Yancey after first seeing this, the original cut of this and just being like, wow, that was terrible. I mean, cause it's the original cut of this movie, like we've mentioned is like just one massive montage and it's very frustrating this feels like an actual movie, and I think Stallone did a really good job of reworking this film to make it what it is here. And I think, you know, I, I'm giving it the three and a half. There's always the chance that it could go up when I watch it again. But I do think that this is just such a solid film now. It actually is an above average movie which I couldn't say about Rocky four, the original cut, like it's a, it's a two star, you know, it, it's not great. Um, but, uh, this is, I mean, I really enjoy this movie. I really liked this version. I thought it was fantastic and I was really impressed though. And, and, and we mentioned here, but I've got to give a huge amount of credit to Stallone for being able to be very introspective about his motivations for the first film, for the first cut, and being able to basically create almost a whole new feel for this is really impressive. Um, and like you said, John, there are those scenes where you know they literally change what happens after the speech because you can. T he was thinking two different things and. To be able to do that is is fantastic. So, I really enjoyed this movie uh, and this cut. And even though it is one minute longer, it felt like it just goes along at a great clip. I thought it was four minutes. So, Isn't it four minutes longer? It might be. I felt like I read one, but maybe it is. Only I thought four. it was one uh, because it was forty two minutes now versus forty one minutes originally. 
I don't know why I have four stuck in my brain, but yeah, yeah the majority, either, the majority way, of its, I mean, the majority yeah. of its work is substitution as opposed to addition, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. is also a very different sort of feel from the typical mm-hmm. director's cut that you get, where it's right. just I'm just going right. to add more in, you know, I, yeah. I, I, you know, just to 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 go back to that point, like at least he realized if I'm going to change a bunch of stuff. I shouldn't just slap it in there. I should actually re-edit everything as if I'm taking that footage, mm-hmm. you know, whole cloth and and, and starting again. Uh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great stuff. So, well, we're at that point of the show where we give some recommendations. And so, Christy, what would you like to recommend to everybody this week? I am so excited because I actually have a new thing that I'm sure neither of you are possibly aware of that you need to be um, and everybody else. But if you have been on Amazon Prime at all in the last week, you may have noticed at the top there is a decorative new bar advertising a new animated show available to watch called The Legend of Vox Machina. And it is a spinoff from the crew that does the D&D campaign called Critical Role, or rather they have multiple campaigns they've now done. I think they're on campaign three or four with that group of people. Um, but it's a people, a group of people that started as friends that happen to also be voice actors. They ended up doing a Kickstarter to see how far they could get to possibly fund some future projects. And it raised millions of dollars way far and above what they ever thought they were going to get. And they had to figure out what to do with the money. And this is one of the things they did was made an animated show about their D and D characters. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's awesome. uh, The first three episodes are already out and I highly recommend checking it out. Um, This is the representation of their campaign one characters. So um, I'll just read off the names really quick. So people are familiar. There's the twins, Vex and Vax, Scanlan, the Bard, Grog, Keyleth, Pike, Percy, and Vax's bear Trinket. Nice. <laughs> nice. That sounds uh, great. So is this similar to the guild? Kind of. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm real I'm familiar with the guild, of course, with uh, yeah, it's Felicia but, Day. Um, yeah. And Felicia yeah, Day is yeah, one that's... of the voice cast in this show. So Oh, fantastic. There you go. Yeah, this that that show was phenomenal too. So yeah. anyway. Uh yeah, John, what are your recommendations for people this week? Uh, you know, I just finished reading a book not too long ago uh, called The Nolan Variations, The Movies, Mysteries, and Marvels of Christopher Nolan. Uh, it's written by somebody named uh, Tom Schoen, who I, I think he's a critic or something like that. But anyway, he he's known Nolan for a long time, and he's done a number of interviews with him over time. And uh, apparently Nolan agreed to the book being done because... Uh, it, it, there, there's some sort of calculus where he's like he felt for the longest time he hadn't done enough movies to have a book written about him sort of thing. So apparently the making of Tenet tipped it over and he's like, fine, make the book um, <laughs> or something like that. Uh, but it's a very good book. It's not a great book, but it's a very interesting book um, that does a really good job of digging into the different influences that uh, Nolan has and you get to hear Nolan's own take on things and his own reaction to things and also the fascinating sort of stuff that um you know inspires him to do certain things and what what his inspiration points are and what I 
What I really love is this is a long book and it's got a lot from Nolan himself and he still will not take it upon himself to tell anyone how to interpret any of his movies because that's up to them. And I'm like, man, that's fantastic. So it's mm-hmm. called The Nolan Variations uh, by Tom Schoen. I do recommend the book. Nice. Great. Now I've got another book I have to read. There Thanks, you go. John. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, but that actually does sound fantastic. So uh, right up my alley. And um, yeah, because as we're uh, about to start recording, I decided to uh, order a mo- biography of uh, Joe Montana because he was one of my favorite players. I'm like, I-, I I just need to read a biography about Joe Montana. So anyway, that's I, not my recommendation because I haven't read the book I yet. I hope they but... cover his appearance on Saturday Night Live. Ah, yeah, hmm. that's the the the, <laughs> the highlight of his career. Forget go. the catch; uh, it's all about Saturday Night Live. Um, I'm going to recommend and and something that um, I was talking to you guys about uh, before we started, which is um, man, rewatching Justice League, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League on disc has been an incredible experience. Uh, so if you've only seen it on HBO Max, well, you need to see it on disc because especially if you've got a 4K TV and player, it looks phenomenal, um, even better than it did for the stream. And I just highly recommend, it, you know, um, this experience. And maybe if you've never seen it, it's a perfect time to check it out. So check out uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League on 4K disc. You will not be disappointed but Christy, if people do want to, you know, maybe catch up with you and see what else you've got going on here, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And I uh, also do a show you may have heard of before when I'm not here on 602 Club called Sabres and Spells with my good friends Amanda and Teresa on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network, where we talk about geeky stuff that is a little bit more on the sidelines and not what we usually get to cover. So hope that you'll listen to our new episode coming out soon about Amanda and Eric's geeky themed wedding. <laughs> Fantastic. And Amanda will be back next week uh, as we are going to be talking about the wonderfully underrated. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Is that giving it away? Um, Stardust. So Mm -hmm. we'll be checking that out. So um, you can find me all over the place uh, under Matt Rushing Zero Two, Instagram, Letterboxd, Twitter, Vero, all of those type of places. Uh, You can also find me. Uh, here on the network doing shows outside the 602 Club with The Orb, Literary Treks, and Warp 5. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. And then over, of course, on the Nerd Party Network, uh, doing not just aggressive negotiations with John about Star Wars, uh, but also, of course, uh, talking Harry Potter with Drea Kaufman as we walked through every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time so I hope you will check that out and last but not least of course John Mills our guest where can everybody find you uh, I am uh, Castle Junkie on your social network of choice I sell Castle Coin on the street corners and you can uh, find me on... Hey, two- doesn't that come in three different flavors comes now? comes in three different flavors for now, but also okay. we're going to be uh, having a, a new line of extra-large Kessel coin very soon. 
And uh, you oh, can, for the big and tall folks. Yeah, you know what? We we cover all markets. Okay. We really, really do. It's, uh, it's crypto fantastic. is just it's going through the roof. It's all over the place. And you can uh, find me on uh, over at the Nerd Party um, on House Lights, where we look at the work of directors, aggressive negotiations, which I do with you, Matt, and of course here on Snyder Cuts and Assembling Avengers. So there you go. That's where you can find me. Well, as always, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you hear. here. <laughs>